hinges on a moment. Darkness yields to light. Fear meets love. Death becomes life. In this place, things rust no more. Rot is restored. As Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, she heard a voice. Woman, why do you weep? Who are you looking for? to recognize who was speaking to her, she said, Mister, if you took him, tell me where you put him so I may care for him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Can you imagine her delight upon realizing that the one standing before her, speaking her name, was the one who just moments ago seemed lost, dead, gone. Can you see him? Or are you like Mary, eyes too filled with tears to see him standing right next to you? calling you by name. This is not the end. The things that once looked like decay, despair, and death can be renewed, hoped for, reborn. So why do you look for the living among the dead? not here. He has risen. So dry your eyes and go tell your friends.
happy Easter. Welcome, grateful that you're here. Everyone here in the room and of course on stream. In fact, on the count of three, let's just say hi to everyone on stream. Ready? One, two, three. Grateful that you are here with us. Well, hey, Easter represents hope. And I'm going to be honest with you. This past weekend, I'm kind of losing hope in something. You know, I'm losing hope in spring. It's killing me. But there's a little bit of sun out there. So we're just now starting. A couple of our people were standing outside just a minute ago. They're like, I think it's coming. I hope so. But Easter represents hope, represents new life. And so I really want you to use your imagination as we keep moving on this journey. I want you to ignite your imagination and start to think about what it was like on the very first Easter. The very first Easter. And what might it have been like to look through the eyes of the first person that witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. Because today we're gonna look through the lens of a few followers of Jesus, one in particular, Mary Magdalene. Mary was a follower of Jesus. She was a disciple of Jesus, a friend of Jesus. In fact, in scripture, her name is mentioned a dozen times, more than some of the close followers of Jesus. And she just went through what we traditionally call now as Holy Week, the elation and the victory and the celebration of Palm Sunday where this king is coming into the city and everyone thinks this is our rescuer, this is our savior. They had an image of God and they were singing and laying their cloaks and branches at his feet in honor of him. And just a few days later, the betrayal, the arrest, the conviction, the trial, the torture, and the execution of her friend. And she was there for all of it. The very end when they removed his body and she was there and she, act, she actually walked her friend all the way to his final resting place. And then she rested for the Sabbath day. And then it said that she's walking in the dark early that morning. Some think she had to come from a ways away and she's walking in the dark. And I don't know if you saw this this morning or not, but when I was heading in, the sun was just breaking and there was this beautiful mist that was happening all this morning. And I wonder if that was how it was for her and there was a dew on her feet and she's walking and all of a sudden she reaches this place of rest for her friend and the stone is rolled away, the tomb is open and her friend isn't there. And it says that she's distraught, she's weeping. And then in a moment, she hears a familiar voice, someone that she loves. And it's just one word, her name, Mary. And in that moment, when she heard that word, all of a sudden, hope in life sprung up, started to grow. Easter's hope, Easter's life. A friend of mine, York Moore, he's a professor and a writer. He's a teacher, he speaks all across the country. For the majority of his early life, all the way into his early adulthood, he was a staunch atheist. He thought everything we're gonna talk about today was nonsense. And then he had a moment where he really met Jesus and it absolutely profoundly changed his life. And now he spends his whole life talking about Jesus and telling the world. Well, he has a book called Do Something Beautiful. We're gonna do a series in the summer, a three-week series, and he's gonna come for two of those weeks. Amazing, amazing guy, good mentor of mine. And so he says a story in this book, Do Something Beautiful, that they grew up on a street in Detroit and he's about seven years old. And this street was a really rough and raw street. Houses were tough, the people were tougher. And 
he would say uh, one summer that his mom came to him and said, I have to have surgery. And so I want you, York, to take care of our garden, of our lawn, and in particular, these bushes. And so as a young boy, he took that seriously and he started caring for these bushes and he learned something that as he cared for their property, it became more beautiful. And as he cared, it started, life started to grow. And he said, he said something amazing. He said that little home and those little bushes actually started to permeate and change our neighborhood. People actually started to look at our house differently and it started to actually change. And guess what? When Jesus enters in, everything changes. When life enters in, things change and it starts to permeate and go out to all corners of the earth. Easter is hope. And because Jesus lives, that hope is available to all that put their faith in Jesus. Because he lives, all things can be possible in faith. He lives, I can face tomorrow because He lives. Our fears gone, and I. this word the living just just because he lives in Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid the fiercest drought and flood what a height to
was breathed by the Messiah, all hope was lost. Who would have thought that the sounds of silence would sound so violent? Tears of sorrow flooded as the one who was meant to save became the one enslaved to death itself. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Who would have knew this would be our chance to be renewed? See, what was in front of us was a man, was a tomb with the corpse of a man who was supposedly the son of God, yet rotting away as mere humans do when their life is up. See, all what was known was death and never life. Till the third day came, when that stone was rolled away, linen wraps no longer attached as the keys to hell's gates were snatched. The king of the Jews, the son of God, the Messiah, the one who spoke life into existence, the one who says you are forgiven. Who can throw stones, go and sin no more? What this means is that you are given life, a chance to make things right, not by your power, but through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Blessed are those who believe without seeing, see your eyes deceive you. What you thought was impossible became the very thing that saves you. What you see is death, what is unseen is life. This is the meaning of death on the cross, a bridge that will never separate us from the love of God. And the two nails in his palms shows that he will never drop us nor forsake us no matter what we do. As the cross signifies how much he's got our backs. And that's a fact. So what else is there left to say? We have victory. We Say this with me and proclaim this in your life. We have victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your name? 
Father, thank you for that truth that you are alive. Lord, we ask that you shake us and awake us in a new way. Shake our hearts, shake our souls, speak. Speak, Lord, and let us hear you. Give us ears to hear you. Let us see you in a new light. Let us see you. And pray this in Jesus' name we all say, amen. amen. Well, hey, give them a big hand again. I was talking to Cameron and Jalen, and I said, man, I, I was just like one time, this one time in my life, to be able to sing a little bit like Cameron, just that one little, ooh, like those, you know, like, when I, that's what it sounds like when I sing, ooh, but I absolutely love it. It's so much power, so much fun. We've had a, just a great weekend, grateful to be with uh, everyone. Well, in my family, I have a very prestigious title. I've earned it, I've worked hard, I've done everything I could, and my family, I proudly, I proudly wear this beautiful title. And the title is, I don't need that. The title is, oh, look at you. You're a servant. The title is this, The World's Worst Finder. I am the world's worst finder. Now, I got that title legitimately because years ago, my wife came to me and said, Danny, would you get the milk out of the refrigerator? Now, I'm not talking about a pint of milk or half gallon of milk. I'm talking about a real gallon of milk. We don't have a walk-in refrigerator, so it's normal size. So I walk up, we always keep the milk right there at eye level. So I walk to the refrigerator, I open it up, I look in, I look back at Amy, I said, come on, Amy, why would you send me to the refrigerator when there's no milk in the refrigerator? She looks at me, she says, there is milk in there. I know it is, I just get it. It's on the top shelf, and I'm not kidding you. I looked at the top shelf, then the next, then the next, everything else, and I looked at her, I said, come on, Amy. We don't have any milk. And you know what she did? She just, she kept looking at, she got up, she kept looking at me, didn't even look in the fridge, grabbed it, handed it to me and walked away. And I became the world's worst finder because I'm telling you, it's right here. It's right in front of me. Some of you know who I'm talking about. Sometimes in life, that's exactly what happens to us. That there is a truth right in front of us and we just can't see it. Can't see it for a number of different reasons. Some of the reasons could be good, some of them could be very difficult. I know in a room this size and everyone watching on stream, when you came in today, you, you made it dressed up really nice, but maybe there's some real burdens on your heart. The deep burdens about life. And sometimes life presses on us. Doesn't matter your age, life presses down and you have burdens. And so sometimes life can press on you, have burdens and you can't quite see everything in front of you. And I'll tell you something, many times that's the way with God. We can't see God in front of us. We think that he's not there. And God knew this. And one of his disciples who will be listening to most of today through his writings is John. And he wrote about this. He said this in John 1. He said, he, Jesus, was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Though the world was made through them, the world did not see him. And so we can tell many times in our faith journey that we can't see what God is doing. And at the very first Easter, three of Jesus' close disciples had an encounter. They saw, say the word saw. They saw, but they didn't quite see. They couldn't fully see. And so you're not alone in your faith journey. Even the people closest to Jesus couldn't quite see everything. There was something blocking their vision. And so we're gonna look at this story today and we're gonna learn uh, something new. John 20, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. 
So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple to whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went to the tomb. The tomb were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Actually, there's, there, I love this, these few verses because it starts to really get a vision for humanity and the people that surrounded Jesus. So if you don't know, John and Peter were close disciples. In fact, they were in the inner circle of Jesus. And they, I'm sure they were friends, but I also am sure that there was a competitive nature there like friends have. And John is writing this, so he has the pen in his hand so he can actually write it the way he sees it. And this is what we learn about John in these first few verses. Number one, Jesus loves him more than Peter. And number two, he's a faster runner than Peter. Peter's slow. And I love that, that he puts that in there, that kind of detail. So John bent down to look in and he saw, say saw. Say it like you mean it. The linen wrapping's lying there, but he did not go in. Thank you. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled in a place by itself. We also see another quality here with John and Peter. So John beats Peter to the tomb, but what does he do? He stops, he doesn't go in, kind of freezes. But what does Peter do? If you know anything about Peter, Peter's aggressive. Even to the point sometimes we get himself in some pretty deep trouble. So he gets there and he goes right in. And he looks in. Now, I think Peter has the, the human response of fight. You know that there's fight and there's flight. But there's also a third one. And this is why I relate to John right here. It's freeze. <laughs> and I think John hit there and he froze. What did Peter do? He went right in. I learned I was a freeze years ago. I was at a party. I, took, uh, I was dating someone and we went to a party. And, and we went to this apartment of this person's <laughs> sister's apartment and there was a bunch of people I didn't know there and we started playing games and it got a little bit competitive. And for some reason, this other guy said something were really nasty to the girl that I brought there. So I leaned over and I said, did he just call you? And she said, yes. And I, so I gently picked him up and carried him to the wall and put him against the wall, right? <laughs> Don't do that kids. And I just had a nice little conversation with colorful words that I can't say right now. And so I was there in that moment and I just was gonna, take it down a notch and then get back to the party. What I didn't realize is the girl I brought's brother came in and he was a fighter. And so he came through the door and what did he do? He, he thought I was in trouble and he just took this guy and started a big rumble. He started being him, right? Like, it was not rumble like, you know, doom, doom. it's not Jets and Sharks rumble, but it was a fight. And all of a sudden it just broke out. I'm not kidding you. It just broke out. They were throwing things and everything was going. And this is what I did. I'm not kidding you. I stood there. I didn't do a thing. I froze. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, I'm like, wow, they're ruining this place. Oh gosh, they just broke that vase. What are they doing? Should I have done that? Maybe I shouldn't have said, I was literally sitting there for, it seemed like for a 10 minutes until this guy said, help me out. And then at that point we started, you know, doing this. No. no, it's a true story. We actually did, we fixed it all, but we didn't sing. So, but Peter rushes in and he saw, say saw. saw. Now that word there in Greek is thereo. And thereo actually means that Peter went in and that we almost probably could get the word theorized from that word. So Peter enters in and he's looking at everything and he's scrutinizing it and he's analyzing it and he's trying to come up with a theory of why Jesus isn't here. And he's thinking through it. Now here's what you need to know about Peter. 
Peter was probably Jesus' number one person in his life. Trusted him with a lot of things. He's a little older than all the other disciples. And Peter told Jesus over and over, listen, Jesus, I'm with you to the very end. I'll never leave you. I'll always be with you. I'll fight for you. All this. And Jesus would try to tell him, you're gonna let me down. Because every human lets every human down, just so you know. And so he's gonna let him down. Peter, no, 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 Lord, I'll never, I'll never do that. I'll be with you. And you know what he did? At the deepest need, the time of deepest need for Jesus, Peter abandoned him along with the other disciples. And he even went as far as what Jesus told him he would do. He denied him, denied even knowing him. So I think we need to know that right here. Because when, G, when Peter rushes into Jesus' tomb, I think he's looking through everything, trying to figure it out because I believe that he has got guilt and shame on him for what he did, denying Jesus. Now, you might've walked in here today and felt you have guilt and shame in your life. Things you might've done, weight that might be on you, and you're coming in with a lot of guilt and shame. I feel like Peter rushed in there and trying to figure this out because he needs an answer. He feels heaviness on him. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, faster runner, also went in and he saw and believed. For as of yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. Now that word saw, I'm just, I'm just testing you kids now. Some of you, who's yelling it out over here? You are, you're killing it. You're my person right there. That word there is actually Edo. And Edo's a little different. It's not the theorizing as much as it is that John came in and when he saw, he actually looked in and he had a moment where he knew something significant had happened. That's that word. There's something more significant there. So they both saw the same thing, but they both interpreted differently. But here's what's fascinating. And then they both looked at each other and then they went home. They said, okay, let's go home. And they left Mary there alone, maybe with some other women that were there. And then the next words are this, but Mary. That means, look out, something's coming, but Mary. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. This is a rare moment in scripture where the human speaks to the divine. Usually when the divine comes in, they fall down at their face. But in this moment, I think Mary's so distraught, she just speaks out. Supposing him to be the gardener who would have been a low ranking employee, probably only one there that early in the morning, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She's saying, look, I will do it. I'll take the body, I'll figure it out. And then Jesus said to her this, Mary. I just, I, I really imagine that Jesus whispers her name, Mary. And in that moment, something profound happened. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher or master. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go, say go, go. to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all that he had said and all the things he had said to her. I have seen the Lord. You know what the word is there? It's a little different for seen. The word there for seen is much different. It actually means to know, actually in your mind. 
I think that moment when Jesus spoke her name, she knew. Peter theorized John had some, knew something significant happened, but Mary, she knew the truth and it permeated her. And she went and started to tell the world. Now, I wanna give you three thoughts for your Easter this year. Three attributes, three aspects of God. Number one, God is personal. Number two, God is purposeful. And number three, God is powerful. Personal, purposeful, and powerful. First one, personal. In that culture, there was a lot of mythology around gods, especially within the Greek culture. And many times the gods were these distant gods, these guys that would go back and be up over everything, almost like a puppeteer. And then when things gone wrong, they would rush in, they would show their power, and then they pull back out. But Jesus, creator of all things, the lover of human souls, the one that spoke the world into existence, decided to leave his heavenly perfect home and enter into our creation to become close to his creation, to become personal, to become close. John writes about this in the beginning of his story. He says, and the word Jesus became flesh and lived among us. I always love the message version of this by Eugene Peterson. It says, the word Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that image of moving into the neighborhood, the incarnation, God in flesh, God coming up and getting close and personal, the creator living amongst the created. I've been reading a, a book recently and I love how Charles Kraft wrote this. He said this, it is as a human being, a person that God came in Jesus Christ. Incarnation, coming as a human being as part of God's communicational strategy. I love that. It was neither to angels nor as an angel that God came, but as a person, one who shared our flesh and blood, our weakness, one who could thus be understood within the limitations of human beings. As a person then, he is a God who interacts with other persons. God is close. He's intimate. He's personal. I hope you know that today. Many times we think that God is a distant God, but I want you to know, and I say this so much because we forget it so easily, every person is made in the image of God. You can't get any more personal than that. That he has placed eternity in every human heart. There's parts of us that are of God. He is personal and he is close. And Mary Magdalene knew this well. Even when she met Jesus on this earth, she had a very close personal relationship and something happened between them that brought incredible healing to her. In the gospel of Luke, it's written that Jesus would travel through cities and villages with his 12. And it says not only was there the 12, but there were also women that were supporting his ministry that would be following him and helping him as well. Many that had a bunch of sickness and spirits in them. And it says Mary Magdalene, there were seven demons that she was rescued from and called out by God. Now we don't know exactly what those demons are in that culture. It could have meant that she, if she was a demoniac, it could have meant that she had mental illness. It could have been a physical illness. We don't actually know. We do know that historians and theologians say the number seven's somewhat significant and it would hint at the idea that whatever she had was very intense. And when she came close to Jesus, she was released from that. She had healing. So this is very personal to her. That's why when the angel said to her, woman, why are you weeping? By the way, let me, let me make something clear. In scripture, many times we hear a word like woman. And I don't know how you felt about that when you heard that, especially for women in here, you're like, hey, woman. 
But I just want you to know something. It's very different. In fact, last night, my mom was here for the first service and I looked at her and said, hey mom, uh, what would it be like if I said, hey woman, go make me something to eat? And my mom's like this, I would not like that, <laughs> right? But in the scripture, it says woman, you know what it means? It means my dear or dear woman. And so the angel said, my dear, why are you weeping? And you know what Mary's response was because it's so personal. She says, they have taken away my Lord. And say, a Lord, could have said the Lord, but she said, my Lord. This is personal. This is my Lord. And then Jesus calls her name. You can't get any more personal than that, especially in that culture. A name meant so much. And he called her name. And when someone calls your name, it means that they know you. I hope you know something today. God knows your name. He knows your name. For me personally, I really struggle with remembering names. I'm really bad at it. Fabricio, for some reason, I've always remembered your name, but I think it's because it's Fabricio, you know? <laughs> but I'm really bad with remembering names. And so my dad, years ago, I, I went to him, this was years ago, and I said, Dad, I can't remember a lot of names. Do you have anything? He goes, yeah, I studied at Dale Carnegie, and I have something for you. He says, this is how he tells me to remember names. He says, imagine in your mind a racetrack, a horse track, and you have eight tracks. And every time you meet someone, just have a number on each horse and put a name to that number, and you'll never forget their name. What? So I said, okay, I'll try it. And I go to this gathering and I start imagining a racetrack with the horses with numbers. And I put them in, you know what I did? I forgot the horses. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I'm horrible about remembering names. And here's what I don't want you to do. Please don't test me after this service. Like I've already gotten that. They're like, okay, tell me your name. I don't know your name. All right. But Jesus knows, he knows your name. He knows you. You've been made in his image. Even yours. That was beautiful. Do you hear that? You hear this little boy up here? He says, even mine? Yes. And yet here, here's why I want you to know the, how that important is. You know, there's a writing on that wall. We, we had our congregation write on that wall, the burdens of their life. And someone wrote up there, you, you, you really broke something open in me right now. They wrote up there, I'm not God's kind of person. And when you said, even me, I said, every, every person in this world is God's type of person. Thank you for that little guy. But I want to tell you something. You, I learned the power of the name when I used to go to uh, watch my son play baseball. And he would play, he played for years when he was young and then all the way through and I got to coach him a little bit when he got older. But when I went there, I think one of the parents taught me something important. <laughs> they said this, when you're in the stands and you're shouting, which I'm sorry that all our parents shout so much, but we do. When you're shouting stuff, be careful what you say. Because all the things that you shout out there could be 10 parents shouting out, your son out there or your daughter they'll recognize and know your name out of all that chaos. It says in scripture that sheep will know the shepherd's name. God knows your name. God is a personal God. He is close. And when I hear the story of Mary, for me, I have a deep connection to her. Because when I came here 19 years ago, I'm telling you what, I walked through this door and I was rolling the eyes at this church and rolling my eyes at Jesus. I thought, oh, this place is weird. It's a cult, you know, like I didn't like this place at all, but I just came to play music because they were gonna pay me and that's what I did for a living. And I didn't wanna hear the message. I didn't wanna hear about Jesus. I was studying other religions. I didn't, wasn't, but when I came in, I finally listened to a message and Dave Wilson's up here preaching, God's calling you home. God's calling you home. God calls, something absent. And I want you to know something. When I came here all those years ago, I was, I was struggling with mental illness. 
deep depression, deep anxiety. Many of you feel that in this room right now. I was struggling with that. And I came here with a lot on my heart and a lot of burdens. And when Dave kept saying, come home, come home, come home, that moment, like something ignited deep in my heart and soul that is not of this world. Something familiar but unfamiliar. Hard to explain. I don't, I don't know if God speaks in an audible voice, but I do know that he speaks to parts of our hearts and soul that we just don't understand. I remember going home that night and telling Amy, the man that left this morning is not the same man in front of you, but I can't tell you what happened, but something happened. I believe Mary experienced that profoundly and, and God became very personal. So God is personal. God is purposeful. If you know, if you've heard me speak before, you've heard me say that God is an intentional God. He's not a random God. He's not a God of chaos, but one of order. So the way Jesus entered into our existence in a form of a baby, the all-powerful coming powerless, the way he lived his life, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And then the way he exited this world as being the final sacrifice for everyone that would believe in him and have faith and live with him forever. That whole existence said, I'm a different kind of a king building a different kind of a kingdom in a very intentional way. So to me, it's absolutely precious and beautiful that he would pick Mary Magdalene as the first person that he would whisper the truth of the universe into her ear. A woman in that time had no significance, no voice, she was considered lesser than. And here's this person that was broken and that, that needed healing. And who's the first person that God decides to interact with? But Mary, it's significant that he would do that. And I really believe that Mary really didn't know who she really was until she experienced Jesus. The society would tell her she was one thing, probably tell her everything she wasn't or everything she should be. And then God whispered in her, this is who you are and this is who you could be. And that's what God does. And God has a purpose for our life. He's a purposeful God. He has a purpose for your life. And when he comes close, he comes bearing that person, that purpose. And I love the fact that all throughout scripture, God is using imperfect people for his perfect plan. He invites all people in when he gets close. One of my favorite quotes is from a writer, Annie Dillard. And she says this, she said, I had been my whole life a bell and never knew it until at that moment, I was lifted and I was struck. Absolutely love that. I think God lifted Mary and struck her and said, resonate to the world the truth of who I am and who you are in me. Go. So what he said to her, go and tell. I think he lifted her and struck. You know, many times we walk through our whole life and we don't even realize who we really are. But in Jesus, he says, this is actually who you really are. Let me lift you up and strike you and let you resonate to the world. You have purpose and you're not disqualified. No matter how many demons you may have or how many denials like Peter, you are not disqualified. God looks at you and comes close and gives you purpose. The last one is God is powerful. I have a few thoughts on that and then we're gonna share a story that's happening in our community. Before we do that, we're gonna receive our offering. So if you come prepared to give, thank you very much. Um, if you're brand new and just visiting, this doesn't have to be your moment. Your next step is when you walk out, there's a place called The Hub. We'd love to shake your hand, hear your story. If you have any questions, that'd be awesome. We'd love to, to connect with you. Uh, if, you do, uh, if you do give, we have a number of different ways we do in this community. We can do it right here in the room. We also uh, online, kensingchurch.org. You can go on our app and then you can also text 779 
77 to Kensington and I'll walk you through the prompts. God is personal, God is purposeful. And then the last one, God is powerful. This is something that struck me as I kept reading and reading this scripture over the last month, something hit me. I think the moment that Jesus whispered Mary's name, that space where a word came off of Jesus' lips and entered into the ear, heart, mind, and soul of this woman was probably maybe the most powerful moment in human history. Here's why I think that. Because in that moment, when Jesus comes alive and realizes he's a resurrected Jesus and he transfers his resurrection power into the first human being. And when Mary realized that this was actually the truth of the universe, the power that must have run through her was unimaginable. And here, Jesus, he actually hands her the power of the universe through her ears, in her heart, in her mind, her soul. And then she, he, he goes, go and tell. And she's absolutely 100% transformed. Resurrection power coming into the human existence in that moment. I think that was the most powerful, maybe potentially moment that has ever existed. And I'm always absolutely amazed at the transformative power when someone meets Jesus. One of my favorite stories is a friend of mine, Bill. And Bill is part of our Celebrate Recovery ministry that deals with hurts, habits, and hangups, not just addictions, only about 30% are addictions and the rest is all this other stuff. And he came to me years ago and he asked me, he challenged me, he said, as a pastor, would you be willing to go through a 12-step year-long study with me so that you understand what we go through and what people go through. And I said, well, I'm going through stuff. I'll do that. And it was just a transformative experience. And Bill has become my friend, my mentor, and I even call him my sponsor, you know, because I'll call him and I'll talk to him and he'll mentor me. He's beautiful. But Bill spent over 40 years, maybe 45 years as an alcoholic. He tried all kinds of programs. He lost everything, homes and wives and family members, all of this stuff. One day he wakes up in a dumpster, which he had done a number of different times. And he comes to the realization, he goes, I just can't do this anymore. So he goes to get help and he goes to a home in Detroit and he starts to get rehabilitated. And in the first couple of days, he really felt like he had an encounter with Jesus, this resurrection power. And so every morning his routine was from the first morning, second, third, he would go downstairs to the basement, he'd walk to the floor, he'd go get his coffee or whatever he'd get and then he'd come up and he'd go through the program did that morning after morning. And then one morning he was walking there to get his coffee and he's walking all of a sudden, poof, he just hits his head on the beam that was there. And I love his voice. This is his voice. He's just like, I wonder where that came from, you know? <laughs> and then something hit him. He realized that for almost 20 years of his life that he'd been walking with his head down in shame and in guilt Throughout his whole life, he just walked with his head looking at his feet or just in front of him. And for the first time, his head was lifted up and he realized that Jesus was doing something transformative in him, that you know what Jesus was doing? He was lifting him and he was striking him, literally struck him <laughs> in the head. Bill said to me this, he said, it was that moment, it was that moment that I knew that I was gonna make it. And he has, he's been, he's been clean and sober for 17, I think, years now. And he's, yeah, that's awesome. And, and he's impacted men in this community, me included. 
my friend Steve Norman included as well. Like we have been very impactful. Andrew Kim, I mean, it's just unbelievable how many people he's poured into and, and helped. So I'm telling you some of the transformative power of Jesus. And by the way, that's a picture of being transformed and then helping that go out just like York Moore on his street. The beauty starts to spread. We can share it. So we wanna share a story with you of someone, Dave and Jen, who experienced this, had a lot of doubts just like I did when he walked in this door, but something happened to him just a few months ago. Take this in and watch the trek of what we just talked about. Why believe in something that's made up? Why have this thing called faith? What's the point of that? You can survive just fine without it. You don't need it. Why believe in it? But I remember the day that I sent the email to my mother and my brothers. And I just remember telling them, I'm an atheist. The furthest back I can remember not liking church at all. I remember mostly with my mother and father before they were divorced, we would sometimes go. I, I just always felt uncomfortable. As I got older, it got worse even. I started asking really tough questions of religion in general. The hardest thing for me was I always demanded proof. Is there evidence? And I used to think of all the religions throughout history and how people have always made up religions. Why is this one right? Why is this one true? Why is this the one? I remember the day that I sent the email to my mother and my brothers, and I just remember telling them, I'm an atheist. I realize I'm an atheist, and here's why. And I listed out some reasons. They were just kind of like, look, you can still be a, a thinker, a quote unquote thinker, and research things and look for facts and look through history, and you can still be a Christian, is what they told me. I didn't agree with them on that. Why have this thing called faith? What's the point of that? You can have faith in anything. You can have faith in the magical space chicken up in the sky that made everything. I've had uh, some friends, one of them that I used to work with, her name's Lori. We would have conversations, nice conversations, because at this point I realized how rude I kind of can be in that regard. But she told me about Kensington, and I, I've also read articles about how children can benefit greatly from Christianity. And I knew there were some good lessons, like the Ten Commandments are good, I, I think. I thought maybe I should expose them to Christianity, like some of these, these things I've read and talking with people like Lori. We had a car situation where um, one morning a car was getting repaired, so we only were down to one vehicle. He took an Uber ride with uh, Joe. Joe, and it said that Joe was a good conversationalist. And he happens to go to Kensington, Orion. Orion. Orion, sorry. <laughs> He happens to go to Kensington Orion. I just told him that I'm an atheist, but I've been reading a lot about how healthy it is for children to be exposed to Christianity, and my wife's a Christian and wants to go, and he wasn't telling me 
to go or not to go necessarily. He, he said, you know, you, you should give it a try. You know, after the ride, it was about an hour ride, so we had some really good discussions. And he said, you know, good luck on your journey. And that's kind of where, where it started. I was determined to hate it, no matter what happens, like every other time I've been to church. And I thought, well, let's give it a shot. I can suffer for an hour. The music started playing and I started feeling, I mean, it really hit me. This music was just awesome. You know, I looked over at my wife and <laughs> she's crying and I started tearing up and I don't know why. I just, and I, so I started fighting it. I started thinking, you know, a million thoughts in my head. Here I am an atheist at church expecting to hate it and to mock it in my own head. And here I am tearing up at the music and being filled with this amazing feeling. And I'm thinking to myself, this isn't me. What's going on? This is not me. Part of me wanted to just run out and leave, but part of me couldn't move, really. And it feels silly saying this because not too long ago, I would totally be making fun of me right now. When the sermon started, the topic was about work. I was having a hard time at work at the time, and it really helped me and lifted me up. And then, of course, that darn music played again at the end. I finally let go and just let that good feeling take over. I felt like, I felt like he shook me and said, you've been, you've been kind of stupid. I know God wouldn't say stupid, <laughs> but gently shaking me and saying, I'm here. It's amazing how one day like that can change you. And it was probably, <laughs> besides my kids being born, the best day I've ever had. The conversation with Lori, as well as the Uber ride with Joe, <laughs> I, I, I think it was connected in some way. I see that now. God had a hand in a lot of things that before I didn't understand, I didn't notice, I didn't see. I know the words born again are used by a lot of Christians and I never understood that until what happened to me happened to me. I feel, I feel like I've got a new life now. I'm not, I mean, I'm not like I used to be and I just all of a sudden changed. It's crazy. I mean, in a good way, it's a miracle. <laughs> it's miraculous, it really is. I just feel like we're a little more grounded as a couple than we were before. Definitely with David's heart being more open, it's really improved a lot for us. I really, truly didn't think this would happen. I didn't think that David would change his mind from being an atheist. The journey I'm on now is learning as much as I can because, you know, I'm a fact-based person. I want to know the facts. I want. I want evidence, I want that sort of thing, and I'm, I'm finding it now. And now that I've got faith, it's like all these doors open that were closed before that I didn't even know were there. 
To anyone out there that has any fear or doubts, and that maybe this is your first service, all I can tell you is to have an open mind and an open heart. You know, try not to fight it. Try to take it all in if you can. And it might be difficult, but I would definitely say, you know, hang on for the ride, because it's a great one. <laughs> I love the honesty of Dave. I love the fact that he said, look, I'll show up and I'll suffer through an hour. And then what happened? He had this unbelievable moment, I think, like Mary had, where something was pressed upon his heart, and it was Jesus. And in that moment, he said, you're real. Scripture says that anyone that puts their faith in Jesus shall never perish, but have eternal life. That Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to save. Resurrection means that there is true hope and life and power found in the person of Jesus. That's Easter. And you may be that person, this might be your first time where you felt like how I felt 19 years ago. There's no magic prayer you have to say. You can say, Lord, I was going this way, but now I see I was wrong. I am sorry for the things that I've done in here, but Lord, I wanna, I wanna put my faith and trust in you, I believe. That simple prayer that you can say right now to yourself is a prayer where you can say, okay, let's go. Let's go on this journey. Some of you may have a lot of questions, just like Dave, guess what? I had a lot of questions too. It was about three years after that moment that I feel like I really followed Jesus because I had a lot of questions on my heart, a lot of doubts. And guess what Jesus said to the one that doubted him the most, doubting Thomas, he said, come and just examine, come close and look. That would be my challenge to you this year. Go on a journey, come close, God is close. He's purposeful and he's powerful. And we're gonna end by singing. And I love that Dave said he was there. I'm sure he wasn't singing, but he needed to feel and hear that in this room. So I would ask you to lift your voice. Even if your voice is out of tune, don't worry about it. The person next to you may just need to hear the truth of the words, but sing out. And so I invite all that can to stand up and let's sing this song that says, you came for a purpose.
if this Easter has been your Easter, I would tell you, say something, tell somebody. Uh, 19 years ago, I remember going in the back hall and just saying, something's happening in me. And my friend Angela said, yeah, that's what the Holy Spirit feels like when he moves. Let's go. So tell someone. In traditional circles, uh, at this point, person here would say Christ is risen and the people would say he's risen indeed. Let's do that. Christ is risen. Awesome. Go in peace. If you need prayer, come down front and prayer in the lobby. Uh, if you're brand new, go to the hub. We'd love to see you back here next weekend. Join us on this journey of faith. We'd love to have you. Have a great rest of your week.